The first colour I lost was my yellow. The next colour to leave me was light blue. When my red left, I noticed it immediately. When green disappeared, I wasn't surprised. Purple left me on Saturday and I cried because it's my favourite colour. On the day my navy blue said goodbye to me, I summoned all my courage and called my mum. When my brown finally left, I lost my ability to distinguish between black people, white people and people of colour at first glance, which could potentially have posed me a whole new set of problems. Have you ever eaten an orange that wasn't? Actually, pink wasn't the very last colour I lost. Up until Thursday morning, I hadn't seen gold that often. Some people know how to do this. It tickled. It itched. It hurt. It throbbed. It tingled. It stung. It scratched. It ached. It glowed. It radiated. Today, I mostly thought about the past. Today, I mostly thought about the future. Today, I am mostly thinking about the present. listening to the Femme Geniuses podcast, a Colorado College project on intersectionality studies in Berlin, Germany, and I'm Maggie O'Brien. I use the pronoun she, her, hers. I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and I graduated in the class of 2019 with a major in creative writing for social change and a minor in education. What you just heard was Sharon Dodua Otu, a British and German author and activist and recipient of the prestigious Ingborg Bachmann Prize, reading from her novella Synchronicity. Our class gathered with Sharon on a hot June day in Berlin, the air thick and hazy, the trees green and plentiful, all of us making our way on the web of trains that tunnel beneath the city streets, emerging from the steps of the station and walking down the sidewalk to line with cafe stalls and fruit stands and shop owners smoking a cigarette before it all got too busy, until we arrived at the doorstep of Jarchsplita, a community space focused on empowerment and bringing people together to talk about any topic from anti-racism to colonialism, gender, queerness, and able-bodiedness. Dr. Heidi Lewis, professor of feminist and gender studies, led our discussion with Sharon. So let me, maybe we could start with Sharon talking a little bit about her journey into Germany, into writing, and coming to the space of creating this novella. And then I'm sure by then, y'all, what well, well, they already have questions galore. Yeah. But just getting to know your journey to from, you know, whenever to the moment you decided that this particular story yeah. should be told. 
this one synchronicity synchronicity yeah. and feel free to talk about the other ones too but yeah yeah just thinking about you and your experiences being moving here yeah and writing i was learning german in school when i was like 13 years old i started off learning french everybody in, in the uk learns a foreign language and uh, the first one was french and then if you kind of are doing okay with that foreign language, you get to learn a second one. So mine was German, because that was the only one that was offered at the school. And back in the day, German wasn't particularly... That wasn't a choice I made because it was such a cool... Like, I really like the way um, it's very structured. It's got these rules that if you learn the rules, then... So I, I, I find someone once called it like a, a Lego language. You can just build, build things. It's, it's quite good for mathematical-minded people, I think. Sharon goes on to say how a language assistant at her school connected her with a young girl in Germany. And they corresponded as a pen pal friendship for several years and are still friends today. Sharon's connection with Germany continues. She kept studying the language and then later on went back to study abroad. During her degree at a university in London, Sharon goes back once again. I had to spend another year abroad in Germany, so I chose Berlin that time, and that was an awesome move, because Berlin was, um, it, Germany had just been reunited again, and there was this, still this um, atmosphere of adventure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone was like really excited about what the future was going to be like, or well, the West Germans were excited, I mm. guess the East Germans were that. It was also a very, for the black community in Germany, it was a really, um, I don't know, people were really coming together in the 90s. Faber Bekin had come out like about 10 years before, and then people were, you know, still meeting up, doing the regular annual meeting. They were um, organizing Black History Months um, and like regional meetings. It was a great, exciting time. And I always say, that I had my black coming out then, which sounds odd. But I grew up in London in a very unpolitical context. My parents were more like they were um, from Ghana, West Africans who had come to the UK and wanted their children to behave. That was it, really. Just behave. Do well in school, become doctors or lawyers, and then we're going to be rich, go back to Ghana and show off. That was the plan, right? And I didn't go along with that plan. But um, So when I came to Germany, I found out about W.B. Du Bois, I found out about Audrey Lord. I was like, what's this? How is black positive? You know, like, so it was a really brilliant time for me. And that, I just had this relationship with Berlin. It was a very important city for me to find out who I was, find my voice. Um, I became politicized. Berlin is a city with a long history of political consciousness and radical protest. The people Sharon mentions, W.E.B. Du Bois and Audre Lorde, are two prominent African-American writers and thinkers who came to the city of Berlin, Du Bois at the end of the 19th century and Lorde in the 1980s and 90s. They both contributed significantly to the progress of the Afro-German community here, although it wasn't until 1984 that the first book, written by black authors, mostly women, and many of them queer, was published in the country. It was called Showing Our Colors. The book proved to be revolutionary in giving a voice to people who hadn't necessarily had one before, and offering validation to their shared lived realities as black people in Germany, who still experience racism and discrimination, despite the country's rhetoric that racism no longer existed after World War II. In our discussion, Sharon goes on to say how she's seen a new surge of German nationalism in the past 20 years. Here's Sharon talking about a conference she attended that made her rethink the purpose of being a writer. 
I had a very negative experience on a panel discussion in 2013. I'd already written my first novella mm -hmm. by then. So I'd already had this feeling like I need to step back a bit from the front, um, running around activism and try and do activism differently. But my experience on the panel discussion made me realize that this, isn't not, this is not what I want to do. It was, a, it was a discussion that was deliberately set up as a confrontation, which I didn't realize beforehand. And I don't recommend doing those kinds of discussions anymore. Germany has this thing where they say, oh, it's good to talk, right? Mm -hmm. And it's good to uh, debate different sides and everybody should have, you know, what is, yeah, you know. Difficult dialogue. Exactly. Reaching across talk the aisle. To, talk to Nazis. And I don't recommend it, right? Um, and I wasn't talking to a Nazi, to be fair, on stage, right. but it wasn't far from, <laughs> the dynamic wasn't far from it. And I realized then that this is not the work I want to do. I don't need to be talking to people who are not interested in my content. I want to be talking to people who are interested in my content and would like to find out more in a constructive dialogue. I want to talk to people who are interested in learning because they really don't know. And really important, I want to talk to people who know what they want to do. They're doing really important work in difficult contexts. So for example, there's a lot of people of color or critical white people who live in eastern regions in Germany mm -hmm. struggling, yeah? And like, I'm going to them mm -hmm. and doing a reading at their place mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for them, not for the Nazis right, around right, the corner, right. but um, so that they, mm -hmm. you know, have some support and solidarity. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it for the black child who's the only black mm -hmm. child in his class mm -hmm. um, who really dislikes being called the N-word, but everyone says it's okay. For him, I'm going to be doing an article in a newspaper so that he can take it into school and show his teachers. That's the kind of thing that I want to do. So I started to write. I was anyway writing. I always wrote since I could hold a pencil, I would say. But I started to think about my writing as a form of activism around that time when I decided I didn't want to try to convince. I'm not in the business of trying to teach anybody anything or convince anybody of anything. But um, I want a space in my work where, for example, uh, black women can pick up a book and have a laugh or have a cry, whatever, but they're not erased or they're not insulted. So when I wrote Synchronicity, one of the things I wanted to think about, and that was one of the subjects that was on the panel discussion that went oh, so badly wrong. Right, yeah. yeah, one of the subjects was about how can uh, we use language in a way that's... Um, critical of discrimination. There's a word in German which says critical of discrimination, which I really like. And I was ridiculed for that position because um, the person I was on the panel with is of the opinion that there are more important things, right? Mm. That's opinion you can have. But I think that it's all very closely linked. <laughs> and in Germany, gender becomes really important because you have almost everything has a gender, mm -hmm. every single thing, object, and with people, you are, it's a very binary language, either male or female, and that's it. When we do, uh, for example, the plural of, mm -hmm. I don't know, students. If you want to do the plural of students in Germany, you'd have to choose female students as a group or male students mm -hmm. as a group. And normally what happens is if you've got a group of students and there's one male, but 15 females, male. they all get mailed. So I was arguing for... The concept that it is possible to use language in a way that isn't doesn't reproduce ableism, doesn't reproduce racism, also in creative writing. And this is a radical position still to this day to say German can be gender inclusive as a language. 
I wrote Synchronicity to say, um, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to write a story that incorporates a concept of gender um, in an inclusive, solidaric way. That was my aim. I think it's important to mention that I'm also a writer. I designed my own major, Creative Writing for Social Change, because I wanted to know how to make my writing political. I was young, growing up in the United States, the descendant of a legacy of indigenous erasure, slavery, colonialism, capitalism, sexual assault, misogyny, the lack of acknowledgement of trans identity, fossil fuel hunger, the inheritor of a fractured, too warm, still violent planet. What could I do? My major evolved. Instead, it became a question on who gets to tell these stories, who gets to be in stories. I spent the past four years asking other writers and artists this question because I didn't have an answer. It is, without a doubt, a question of indulgence. I'm a white, upper-middle-class, queer, educated American writer. I wanted a set of answers. I wanted a rule book for morality and literature, as if it could be that easy. Claudia Rankin, the author of Citizen, an American lyric, wrote an article called On Whiteness and the Racial Imaginary. It is, for the most part, a message to white people. She says, quote, To argue that the imagination is or can be somehow free of race, that it's the one region of self or experience that is free of race, and that I have a right to imagine whoever I want, and that it damages and deforms my art to set limits on my imagination, acts as if the imagination is not part of me, is not created by the same web and matrix of history and culture that made me. So to say, as a white writer, that you have a right to write about whoever you want, including writing from the point of view of characters of color, that you have a right to access and that your creativity and artistry is harmed if you are told you cannot do so, is to make a mistake. It's to begin the conversation in the wrong place. With these thoughts, I ask Sharon her opinion. My answer is, there are reasons why I don't go there with certain things. So mm -hmm. um, I decided that I am going to write about privilege and my relationship to privilege. Mm -hmm. And from that perspective, I write about everything. I will not write about the marginalization of mm -hmm. queer people through mm -hmm. a character because that's not my experience. And I think that I wouldn't be able to do it that well. I'd probably do it in a very stereotypical way, if at all unless I worked very hard, it is possible, I know you've worked very hard, but I'm thinking, why would I work very hard to write about something that's not my experience when I can write about my experience, which I know very well, which I want to write about, and I don't want someone who doesn't know my experience to write about, mm -hmm. yeah? And also, the other reason is, I don't want to take, you know, there aren't that many queer authors, at least not in Germany. Why would I take that story, you know, that opportunity to publish that story away from somebody who could come to the table and, and, and share their own voice? So I don't go there from the position of marginalisation. What I do do is I, I talk about things from my position as a straight woman, as a cis person. And I think it's very tempting to write about things. I, I feel like privileged people write about marginalization because they want to distance themselves from their own privilege and say, I'm not like the others, yeah? So often when uh, a, a white male writes about a black, or from a black woman's perspective, or somebody who's 
not experienced um if you haven't experienced what it's like to be a refugee mm-hmm. but you write i i was a refugee in this camp what is that really about and i think mm-hmm. it's more about you distancing yourself from your responsibility mm-hmm. as a person who has a, a secure status to be able to talk from that position mm-hmm. to other people who have that position and it's also one other thing i would say too is it is possible for white people to write about race or yeah. hetero people to write about sexuality yeah like so, it's not to say just because you like just because you might not traffic in somebody else's experience doesn't mean you can't deal with sexuality. Yeah. So, and there's a way to do that critically. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's always curious, I think, to me, why a white person would say, "I'm going to write a story about a person of color." It's like, why don't you write a story about whiteness? Mm. Just why? And if, and there, I'm sure there's an answer, but it's always that's not since it's so celebrated. Mm. And, and asking that question is always like, oh, why can't you just enjoy the story? Why can't you just be happy that somebody wrote? You know, you're always complaining about representation. So you can't even get to like, what, like we asked, you know, Sharon when she first came, like, what was your journey into the story? That would be a question for me. What was a heterosexual person's journey into writing a story about a queer person? Like, I asked that of her. What Sharon and Professor Heidi Lewis talked about is something the art world has said again and again. Write from where you stand, write about what you know, and don't take other people's stories. The next question we asked Sharon was about the role of an author. What does it feel like to have other people interpret your work? Is that okay? I think the author does a thing, right? Some, some authors, I mean, I'm a kind of very interactive author. I do talk to people while I'm writing. But a lot of authors tell me, and I believe them, I guess, <laughs> that they sit in a room and they just, you know, they have their creative space and everybody else should stay away and they write and, and then they produce something. And um, I guess it's not unlike having a child, really. Like you produce a thing and then it becomes its own... It's its own uh, object, its own, and that piece of work has a relationship. It, the book that you're reading is actually a relationship, and what you're reading is different to what anybody else is reading, because you associate certain things with that word or that image or that metaphor, right, that somebody else who hasn't got your background won't have. So um, I find... Talks like this one that I'm doing now for 90 minutes or whatever it is, very dangerous. Because it, it, it lends a kind of, I don't know, ah, that's the right way to read it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really believe there's a right way to read it. I think that sometimes, you know, you can miss something in a text and then it might be helpful to discuss it. But, like, when I'm, when I'm writing and, and someone says to me, I didn't get that bit then for me, it can mean two things. It can either mean I didn't describe it that well, um, and I'll go back and I'll think about it, maybe I can make it more explicit, or it means they don't have a connection to that thing, and they don't. And I've thought about this a lot because I'm writing a lot of things where um, I'm using sometimes vocabulary or I'm referencing cultural things that aren't in the white German experience. I know they will not understand this, and they won't be able to find it in Google. I know they won't. So what am I doing with that? That is also a message, right? I'm also saying to them, your center is not the center of the whole world. It's just your center. Um, And now what you're going to do with that feeling of ignorance, yeah? You can hold on to it and pretend that you didn't have it. Or you can talk to the person that you know who might know it. That's an interaction that you could have. Or you can criticize the author for not being clear enough. That's your prerogative. And so I think this... um, 
the thing with the author is overrated. And I think the book itself and the person who reads it, that's, that's the important thing. After that insightful conversation with Sharon Dodua too, I sat down with two of my classmates to talk about what we thought. I'll let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Mimi Norton, and I'm a rising sophomore at Colorado College. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm majoring in English. Hi, I'm Zivia Berkowitz. I'm from Montclair, New Jersey. I'm majoring in feminist and gender studies, and I'm in the class of 2021. I started by asking Mimi and Zivia what their thoughts and impressions were on Sharon and reading her book, Synchronicity. Reading the book, I, it read so quickly, and I just got really drawn in. Um, the pages flew by. Um, I think the idea of gaining and losing colors um, really struck me throughout the book and trying to imagine what the main character was going through as she was losing um, her ability to see colors while then gaining her ability to feel colors um, was like really interesting and definitely like um, stood out to me. Um, and then when we talked with Sharon, I just really enjoyed um, the way that she didn't put so much value onto like some of this, like the symbolism of the colors. Because I think reading it, I was like putting a lot of pressure on myself to like be like, this color means this, and da da da. I'm just trying to like felt like I had like a coat to crack. Um, and it was really nice to hear her just be like, no, like the pink was pink, <laughs> um, because and like that. I was like enjoying the book the way that I was supposed to enjoy it because there was no specific way to and I didn't need to like read into all the symbolism because I wasn't really able to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah when I was reading the book also um, for the first maybe half of the book I was kind of wondering if this was a real condition or not and as the book went on there were some or different points when I was kind of questioning like how much was fiction and nonfiction, but then meeting Sharon was really interesting because she said that um, like part of it is based on her own life. Um, for instance, her mom told always told her you can't rely on anyone but yourself and that was a big theme of the main character of the novel and um, it was just interesting to consider how much her own experience played into what she wanted the audience or the readers to think about um, and yeah, I, I loved meeting and talking to Sharon, and I was uh, surpri surprised to hear that she, or she is the first woman of color who we've met so far in Berlin who willingly chose to move to Germany in her adult life rather than having grown up here and found um, a community of color. So that was really interesting that she noticed that there was something here for her that she couldn't find at home in the UK, um, and now Berlin is her new home. Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing, like, um, that she started with kind of telling us like her about a little bit about her childhood and like just the important steps in her life that like brought her to the point of writing that book. I think that really helped like frame what I had read and put it in like a context that made it even more um, exciting to think about and reflect on. Mm -hmm. Also, it was interesting when she referenced showing her colors as well. Like, she discovered that when she came to Berlin. And I think that everyone, um, or, or most people that we've talked to so far, have said that's been, like, a, a huge moment in their realization of their blackness in Germany. Um, and I didn't realize the scale of 
like the importance of that collection when we first read it before the class started, but that was just cool to see as well. Great. I do think it's interesting that Sharon mentioned as we were talking that she thought the author doesn't matter after a book is written, that once it's in the world, it exists, and it's a this relationship between the reader and the text. But as you were saying, Zivia, it does like matter for us to hear her and talk about her life and place it within that context because I think I mean at its base storytelling is very personal and like we connect with the people behind stories because we wonder how they created them why they created them um and I think that leads me into my next question about what can be some of the purpose behind creation why artists and writers decide to do something and Sharon mentioned how that she sees writing as a form of activism, and I was wondering how you can look at synchronicity and maybe view it as political, as this political text, and what you think, uh, how you think it operates that way. To start, like, if your, like, identity in some way is politicized, like, so, for example, Sharon being a Black woman, woman, like, her very being and existence, especially in Germany, in Berlin, um, is a political statement, so therefore by um, writing about from that perspective and about um, the experiences of being Black, writing about being Black and writing a book where the main character is a Black woman and it's um, being the story is being told from her perspective, I think um, just on its own, like makes it political because I think just to start like there's nothing there's not a whole lot about like specifically like what we consider like politics in the book but I think the like existence of it and the telling of that story is political Mm -hmm. yeah she mentioned that she chose writing as her career just to make or to help people feel represented and to see themselves in her stories um and so that even though there's no overt political message there but just by seeking to represent voices who aren't typically heard, especially in Germany, um, was was really cool and important. And I was also uh, interested to hear when she talked about ableism a lot and how um, she said that she didn't want to focus on the main character's illness, but just to have it be a part of her political identity. Um, and ableism is something that I don't have much experience talking about, but I think Sharon just tried to normalize um, normalize some kind of an unusual problem and not to put it in a negative light um, and in fact to show how it can uh, like it helps this main character realize something new and uh, like be more thoughtful in a sense because of this thing that she had to deal with. And I also think that like in the context of Sharon's writing being political um, she talked about how she used to be um, doing a lot of like public activist work um, and like her experience like getting in an argument with someone um, and how after that she realized that she didn't um, want to be convincing people. Like, she didn't want her work and her time and energy uh, to go towards, like, convincing people, but she wanted what she did to, like, reach the people that wanted to hear what she had to say. And then, like, from that point, she put more energy into writing as, a, as like, the form of the activism that she um, partakes in. Mm-hmm. So I like how you... I like how you brought in that discussion about ableism, Mimi, because there was another thing that stood out to me about 
Sharon's response about language and and her writing, and she started talking about the act of translation and what gets lost in translation, but also the power of different languages to represent um, emotions and experiences in different ways. And one of those was gender. And she said how she wanted to make her book and her writing explicitly out of a gender binary. And I would just love if if both of you could add your opinions on that and, and expand her conversation about, about language um, and how that can be political. I guess that sometimes that concept is hard for me to understand because English isn't really gendered. Um, but like language is something that I feel like I take for granted and I kind of obviously, or language is changing and there's always like new slang and stuff like that but also there's like the dictionary that has all the words. And so I think I often, I don't often think about language being specifically political. I mean, there's, I think there's ways that you can like use language and like construct words and phrases and sentences by speaking that's political, but like Mm -hmm. the language itself, I kind of always think is like unbiased. Yeah. I had never really considered um, like what you lose or gain by translating works because um, or I'm just familiar with writer, or authors who write in English and I read it in English. Uh, but she said that her, she found her translator who um, who cared a lot about like sticking closely to the text. And then Sharon mentioned that um, she didn't really incorporate gender into the text in a critical way. Um, and so that just got me thinking about to what extent... Um, like it's worth it to maybe either stick to the text or sacrifice some things from the text to get the same message across. And I don't know what I would really want, um, but yeah, it just adds a whole new dimension to the different ways that the text can be interpreted and especially to which people. Since the book was written in English, but uh, it's based in Berlin and I think she wanted to kind of target um, Afro-Germans then, yeah, I'm wondering how much of the same messages got across to us versus who her intended audience yeah. was. Yeah, because she did mention that, like, synchronicity is a slightly different story in German and how um, she was more invested in, like, using language um, as, like, a critical way to, like, kind of address, like, certain types of discrimination. So, therefore, like, the result is that the German's translation is different um, and that, and that's also um, interesting to me because it seems like the book is more widely read in German and it's um, easier to find in German and it's sold in Germany and she's like considered a German author. Um, so I think that's, that was like kind of stood out to me too mm-hmm. that, yeah, that it was originally written in English, but it's like significantly more like you can find it in German bookstores but you probably can't find it in bookstores in the states yeah how do you see the book operating within the context of Germany and maybe specifically Berlin knowing um about the history of marginalization and oppression in this city how do you think Sharon really grounds her story within this place I think that something the tension that she had between her boss or the person, the contractor, um, her Welker, and 
the way that she described it and how she had some leverage over him because she was like the only black person that he was working with and how like the fear that people in Germany have of being accused of or being called racist um, and the way that looked between how she was able to maybe try and push for things that she needed um, in her work environment through that, I think kind of gave me some insight into how um, racism operates in Germany and in Berlin. Yeah, I'm not really sure where I want to go with this, but I um, kind of connected it to one of the readings that we did about the discrimination against black Germans versus against the Sinti and Roma and how um, black Germans, there's like an optical difference and a, a visible, yeah, visible difference. Um, whereas with Sinti and Roma, they were more discriminated against because of their culture and like stereotypes um, that were kind of thrown onto them. But this book really made me consider all the, uh, I don't know, it was just very rooted in the visual senses and like mm -hmm. how you uh, perceive or how just people, like you, you can't really operate without seeing different colors, no matter how, yeah, some people use the excuse like, oh, I'm colorblind, but um, this book just kind of critiqued that and, and uh, it's a pretty impossible notion. To add to your point of colorblindness, Mimi, I think it's something I was thinking about as I read this book is how reality is perceived in, in different ways by different people and how everyone lives their own subjective realities and experiences. And I really think Sharon addresses that in this piece with talking about what it means once that is altered. And what if everyone started losing colors in the same way that her character C does? And how do we know what it means to look at the world in a different way? And how does that change our perception of it? And I think Sharon is, is asking us to do that, to, to look at the world as, as we walk through the streets of Berlin and, and wonder if we didn't see color, how would, how would we be thinking about this place and, and these people? Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think in our conversation um, with Sharon today, it really stood out to me um, how, as much as this is about colors, that it was to kind of make fun of the concept of people even having skin color and that that's and that's just something so ingrained in the way that I think mm -hmm. and just how she's like frustrated with how conversations of race and ethnicity or how a lot of conversations about race and ethnicity um people only talk about skin color but first and foremost there's so much be, like it's not it's not just about skin color um Sharon said that it's like also about like just your overall position and I think that that was really that statement like made was really simple for me and it explained a lot um in the way that when race is only talked about in the context of color which is like a very subjective thing and there's how those conversations become really obscure and like not very insightful or productive mm -hmm. because it, those conversations only about skin color can't recognize intersectionality um, and also like social positions, economic, social economic standing and like sexuality and gender 
all play into everybody's life experiences. So conversations purely about skin color are a huge over or gross oversimplification. And I think synchronicity in that way kind of references that or it def- it definitely is trying to challenge skin color because we have this character that can no longer see skin color but also kind of finds other ways to like racialize people or like figure out mm-hmm. people's races um and when she talks about when she's experiencing polysense how she has this feeling of like certain people are like invested in the future while others are thinking about the past mm-hmm. yeah that's really interesting I, I didn't um really realized that when I was reading the book but then when she mentioned that she was kind of critiquing uh, the concept that uh, of just people having different skin colors and all everything that's constructed around that um just kind of speaking to the arbitrariness of that Uh, Sylvia you made a really good point when you said that she found other ways to racialize people Mm -hmm. because um she yeah she said that I think uh black people are always thinking about the future and white people are either thinking about like the present or the past and she wanted to intentionally create a narrative with or about a black person with the future and so that is just another instance of her not doing anything explicitly political but just really meaningful for those who it's intended to to hold meaning for and it's like not to say that like race doesn't exist like because she's saying like I feel like it's really easy to misunderstand that idea of conversations about race shouldn't be about color then like are you saying that we should not see color and it's not that we shouldn't see color it's just that like it's not the color that matters Mm -hmm. it's the way that people are treated in regards to Mm -hmm. that there's still differences in like people's experience based on their race but it's not because because they were born with like a certain skin tone yeah it's the way that like we society responds to skin like skin color (laughs) Do either of you have any final thoughts about um, Sharon and her book, Synchronicity? It was really exciting to talk to the author of a book in such a small and intimate way. Because I think at CC we get a lot of speakers on campus. And if you're feeling super confident, you can like walk up in front of like 100 people <laughs> and ask a question, but you only get one. Um, so it was really exciting and special to like have spent time with her in this way and like I felt really like I wasn't nervous to ask a question and she was really like open and willing to respond to whatever we like were thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it um it like added a lot of meaning to the book for me certainly to talk to the author but without her ever saying this is what this means etc because um, Yeah, it was just nice that she appreciated our place as readers and, like, the ability that we have to interpret it and relate it to our own personal lives and just where we're coming from. Um, And I I really loved the book. She did a great job of making the meaning very accessible. Thank you, Mimi and Sylvia, for talking today. That was really wonderful. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, Maggie. Yeah, thank you. that wraps up our podcast for today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at femgeniuses or head over to Professor Heidi Lewis's website, www.
www.femgeniuses.com. Here are some final words from Synchronicity. Everything around me, including time itself, had come to a halt to celebrate this bittersweet moment with me, the return of my brown and the loss of all hope, and the mirror continued to sing.